highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And so it was, whenever anyone came to bow down to Absalom, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The idea here is that, like a thief, he would get it by stealth. He would deceive the people, and that's what he was doing. His desire was to be king. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Absalom had reason to be disillusioned with David's administration of justice. After all, when Amnon raped Tamar, David did nothing. When Absalom did something about it, David banished Absalom and kept him at a distance, even when he came back. Absalom was skilled at protecting a man-of-the-people image. In an obvious display, he wouldn't let others bow down to him, but would lift them up, shake their hand, and embrace them. As we continue our study, we learn that Absalom made it a point to become popular with the people of Israel in an effort to take over his father's throne. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Seriously, if if that is the case, but we know that that is not the case. His word is truth, and when he says what he means, he means what he says. But you have to believe it, and that takes faith. And I pray that God gives us all a greater, more abiding faith to trust him and to trust his word and to be willing to put it all on the line for this, for him. Put it all on the line. Say, I'll put this on the line. You can take my life, but I believe everything that's in this book. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? You must. You must believe in him. You must be born again. It's not a a question of, well, it might be a good idea. No, Jesus, didn't he tell Nicodemus, a very religious man, you must be born again? And he was a religious guy. Probably put us all to shame by his rituals and his strict adherence to the law. And yet he didn't know God. He needed to be born again. And so... In spite of all these sins. Let's go back to verse 1. Notice, now it begins to unfold. It's already begun to unfold in David's life, but now we see it. It says, after this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses. And having this kind of entourage was indicative of royalty. This is what people in royalty did. And it was something that only a very important person would do. And by the way, this was the first time that something like this had been done with horses and chariots. It was the very first time. Saul wasn't, and when he was anointed, he didn't come strolling in on horses and chariots and having 50 men run before him. 
David didn't come to the throne in that capacity, but now Absalom, he comes. Horses and chariots, 50 men running out in front of him. And uh, notice that Absalom provided himself with this entourage. His father didn't give it to him. He assumed and presumed upon the throne. And in the natural, I guess it was right for him to do so in a sense, because we'll look at that. Have you heard of a term primogeniture or primogeniture? Primogeniture is the name. It's really the right of the firstborn. And so really that's what he was acting under, Absalom. He was acting under this idea, hey, I'm the firstborn. Ab- or Amnon has already died, the second son of David, Daniel, or Chiliab, or Kiliab. He's pronounced a couple different ways. He died when he was young. Now I'm the next guy in line. I am the heir apparent. It's only right for me to do this. So my father hasn't done anything so far, and I'm just going to take the bull by the horns, and I'm going to make it happen. going to make it happen. He's going to do it his way. We're going to see how that works out for him. But remember the warning. Remember how Absalom did this. And remember the warning that God gave to the children of Israel. It's recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You might want to just write a note next to your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. And let me just read it to you. Because this was the warning that God gave to Israel before Saul became king. The Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people because they asked for a king. We want a king like all the other nations around. We want to be just like everybody else, don't you? You know, isn't it it ironic that people today, especially teenagers, they'll say, I want to be be unique, I want to be an individual, but yet they want to dress and act and listen to the same music like everybody else, but they want to be unique. And I'm so glad that they have that heart, but they're just in a place where they're not mature enough to kind of deal with, okay, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with being who I am because they don't even know who they are yet. So I don't blame them for that necessarily, but the people of Israel wanted to be like everybody else. And so the Lord says, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And so according to the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and they've served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice, however. You shall solemnly forewarn them, show them the behavior of the king who will reign over him. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots. And to be his own, and, and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. Did Saul do that? No. Did David do that? No. Did uh, Absalom do that? Yes. And we're going to see one of his other sons later on in First Kings, Adonijah. He's going to do the very same thing. They're going to have men to go before their chariots, and he will appoint captains over his thousands, captains over fifties. And will and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And David, Absalom, and even David's son Solomon did not heed the advice of these things. And it goes on in that chapter, in First Samuel chapter eight. It goes on and talks more about how you're not to multiply wives and multiply horses and. David didn't do that so much, although he did multiply wives, but then his son, oh my goodness, he had chariot cities, uh, and, and we visit one of those when we go to Israel up in Megiddo, and there's stalls where the horses used to be, and he multiplied women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Think of that. What's your name? 
I mean, a, a thousand ladies, that's like three a day. You know, it's like if they, if they came into the palace, it's like, what is your name again? All those wives. And God warned him not to do it, and yet Solomon did these things, and it was to the ruin of him in his later years. But Absalom made the assumption that he should be king. And although he won the hearts of the men of Israel, there was something that he was either ignoring or didn't know altogether, and that was that the Lord had spoken to David concerning who would reign after him. And it seems like another failure on David's part that he didn't make this very clear to his sons. He could have made this very clear. And why didn't he do it? Why wasn't it widely known? Perhaps David was trying to hide this maybe to hide Solomon, who was very young at this point. Maybe he was trying to hide that information from everybody until he got a little older, because he would too would be a target from his other sons. In fact, Herod, you, you recall uh, King Herod, Herod the Great, some people said that it was um, safer to be a pig in Herod's house than to be his, one of his sons, because he murdered most of his sons. Safer to be a pig in his house than to be one of his sons. And so maybe he was protecting his son. We really don't know. But notice, God chose Solomon. Let me read to you. You might want to just make a note in second, uh, right here in your margin of verse 1 there. Second Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. This is called the Davidic covenant, and God gave to David a covenant that he made with him. And notice what he says. He says, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Notice, who will come from your body. Now, when did David have his other sons in Hebron? He had six sons and six wives from Hebron. We read about them in chapter 2 of this book, right? Now we're in chapter 7. So those sons, all those sons, Amnon, Chiliab, uh, uh, Absalom, and the others, Adonijah and the others, they have already been born. But what is the promise that God gives to him now in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel? He says, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body, who will come. Not who has come. Do you understand? I mean, you've got to read it very clearly like that because this is still yet to come. So that leads David to believe, okay, of the sons that I have currently, none of them are going to be my successor. Follow me? And so, who will come from your body, and I will establish his throne. He shall build me a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, right? So we need to remember that the Lord said uh, this uh, after his other six sons had been born, and, and that's laid out for us in chapter 2. And so this clearly shows that God had someone else in mind, that would still yet be born to David. And of course we know that that is Solomon, who would be born from Bathsheba and David. But there was an understanding concerning Solomon being the next king by at least David and Bathsheba. Again, David didn't seem to make everybody aware of this. His sons certainly didn't know. Otherwise, Absalom wouldn't be going through all this trouble making himself to be the next king if he knew that Solomon was the one. So David probably should have made it abundantly clear so that there's no question. But again, David is in a state where he's wounded, and at this point in his life, we believe he may even be sick, and he's in a latter part of his reign, and so he's not doing so well on many fronts, and he's letting things slip. Things are slipping away from him. 
And he didn't tell anybody initially. But in 1 Kings chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, let me just read it to you. You can make a note of it again in your margin of your Bible. This event takes place after Absalom was killed. We know that that's going to happen shortly. And now Adonijah was the logical heir. And so, so now the fourth son steps up after Absalom has died and says, I'm going to be king. And he does the whole same thing that his brother did with the chariots and the horses and the 50 men in tights running before him, right? And so they weren't in tights. I don't really know what they were wearing. But um, it says this, So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. And he said to her, Go immediately to the king and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me? And he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? So there is some understanding in the inner in the inter circle, if you will, but it hadn't really got out. The inner circle knew, but nobody else knew. And so she's like, they just crowned your your other son king, but I thought Solomon was going to be the next one king. And so finally it forces David hand David's hand. And it also uh, tells us, uh, again, another place to mark in your Bible next to this is First Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, because this is the time when David is making preparations to build the next, to build the temple, and David exhorts young Solomon, and it says this in verse 6. It says that he called his son, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord, for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed blood on the earth in my sight. But behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be called Solomon. There it is. It doesn't tell us that in, in, in the previous scriptures. We find out about this in 1 Kings, and then we find out about it in Chronicles 22. But back in Samuel, there's no mention of Solomon being the one. And incidentally, Solomon was the fourth son who was to be born from Bathsheba. The fourth son. In 1 Chronicles 3, verse 5, it says, And these were born to David in Jerusalem, Shimei, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, four by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. And so here he is. So it's a, the reason I bring this up is to, to get the, the, the idea of this family and the inner dynamics of it, because it'll help you understand the, the intricacies of these relationships. It, it literally is like a soap opera. I mean, I don't even know why they even need any soap operas. They could just go to Samuel and look at this, and it would be a pretty good story the way it is. I mean, you got everything in it. You got, you got lust, you got rape, you got uh, all these other things, murder and deceit. I mean, isn't that what the soap operas are all about? There's nothing else in there, is there? Uh, <laughs> and so, verse 2, it says, Now Absalom would rise early, and he would stand be, uh, beside the way to the gate. And so it was. 
that when anyone had a lawsuit, they would come to him for a decision. This way to the gate, in, in, in any gate in any city, what they would have back at these times is this is where they would do their place of commerce. This is where commerce was done. This is where their business dealings were done, right there at the gate. And so what, what Absalom would do is he would park himself, probably in a little hut, off to the side on the way to the gate so that when people came, they would come to him, they would bow, and he would touch their hand. And, oh, nice Mrs. Lowenstein, nice, nice pearls you got there. And he'd kiss their hand and warm up to them and get all cozy. And everybody would love Absalom. Oh, what a wonderful boy. And the Bible tells us he was so good looking too. He had blonde hair, you know, and it was long. And he waited every, every year, like, was it five pounds of hair? Every year he would cut off because it got so long. So this guy was like, uh, he was just one of these guys that most of us guys hate, you know. So, so he, he sets outside the gate and he is totally schmoozing everyone. And then Absalom, verse 3, would say to them, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. And David evidently had holes in his administration. Uh, you know, D- David had his weaknesses and he had his strengths. As a military leader, that was his strength. But an ad- administration and these other things wasn't his strength. And it became obvious as, at this time in his life that his weaknesses were showing. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me, and then I would give him justice. Look at the pronouns in that. Is he an other-centered man? Or is it all about him? I, me. (laughs) It's all about him. It's all about him. And this is unfortunate, but Absalom is now inserting himself into a place that was not appointed to him, Although it may have been needed, that, that may have been the case. And, and David, even if he knew about it, again, he did nothing. He did nothing. And Absalom and his older brothers learned a lot from David, and it wasn't all good. And, and that's why it's so important, moms and dads, for us to take a very um, a significant concern for our children. To be in their lives, to understand what they're doing, and, and to be there for them, to listen to them. To be understanding what they're listening to, the things they're watching, the friends they're keeping, the way they're dressing, all these things, and and to interact with them and to get to know them. To get to know them. And David, this is where he was failing. He He was just checked out as a parent. And today, we parents, if you're a parent, or if you're gonna be a parent, be involved in your kids' lives. Stay together. Fight the good fight of faith and stay together. And let those kids see Christ in you. That's the greatest thing you can give to them is uh, uh, for them to see a mom and dad who love each other even after many, many years of marriage. They still love and respect each other. They're not fighting like cats and dogs. And my dad and my mom are there. They're at my games. They're at my, at my plays and the things that I do. Are you there for your kids? Are you, taking, are you investing in them? Are you listening? Are you tuned in or are you tuned out? Are you checked out? David was a parent who was checked out. And so it was, whenever anyone came to bow down to Absalom, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The idea here is that, like a thief, he would get it by stealth. He would deceive the people, and that's what he was doing. His desire was to be king. 
And he thought he would be a better king than his father because he did, after all, what David should have done. David should have taken um, you know, and put his son to death or done something to his firstborn son, but he mentioned nothing. He did nothing. He, the Bible just says he was mad, but he didn't even talk to him, evidently. So Absalom feels like he is now the patriarch. You can almost see his chest puffing out. You know, <laughs> I am the man. Look at my blonde hair. Look at how pretty I am. And even on my Facebook, it says available. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And Absalom flattered the men and the women of Israel, but mainly the men. And because he was tall, dark, and handsome, he, he took their hearts. Because everybody looks up to a man who's handsome. I don't know if you know this, but you can be a really good leader if, if you're not so good looking, but you're a really good leader and you've got all those qualities that God has for a good leader. And then you can have some guy who's really tall and beautiful, but stutters and can't even tie his shoes. You put those two guys in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, have people vote, they'll always vote for the tall, handsome. And yet, the short guy with the pimple on his nose, who, who's a brilliant leader, he gets kicked to the wayside. But the fancy guy who has to read the teleprompter because he can't even spell or speak, he's the guy who gets it. He wins the prize, Right? So Absalom flattered those. And Job, it tells this. Job says, let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. What a great heart Job had. He didn't care about flattering anybody. In Proverbs, Solomon tells us, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It is so true. When somebody's flattering you, better be careful. Watch the hand of the person who's got their arm around you because the other hand, there's probably a knife. And they're going to come after you. They'll say all kinds of, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so gifted and talented. I wish I was like you. I wish I was just like you. You're so wonderful. And the first chance they get, they'll stab you right in the heart. They'll take you before the media and, and slander you because you didn't call them. You didn't respond to their tweet quick enough. You didn't respond to that message quick enough. Your battery died in your phone and you get to it the next day and they're already lighting up the world because you didn't say hi to them. In Proverbs 29, it says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And although Absalom would use the people of Israel to garner support for his own desire to be king, that's what he did. And how often this kind of treachery and treason happens in companies, and it even happens in the church, where there's a man or a woman whose role is to support or help someone in authority or someone in charge, and rather than fulfill that role faithfully, they begin to secretly build support for themselves, and they seek to undermine them in an attempt to supplant or take their position. This happens all the time in corporations. This happens even in the church today. And it happens in every vocation because of what? Because of pride? Because of jealousy, greed of the human heart. Now it came to pass after four years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I had made to the Lord. Now some manuscripts will read for and um, the, the Latin Vulgate, the Septuagint, the Chaldee scriptures all, all say 40, but there's a handful of other ones that say four. Now, Logically, you can, you can, it's very easy in the Hebrew, by the way, and this is one of the things you're going to find in the book of Samuel specifically and in Kings and Chronicles. Is...
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.